Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. Welcome to the first IVF Tales podcast episode. My name is Amy and I'm one of your hosts on IVF Tales and this is my husband, Ezra. Hello. Take 553. (laughs) So who's in our family? Uh, We have a daughter named Mm -hmm. Juniper. We do. And a cat named Edgar. Mm -hmm. So our daughter was conceived through fertility methods, which we're going to be getting into a little bit later on. Um, So stay tuned for that. Uh, Just a quick, you know, synopsis of our relationship and who we are. Um, We've, uh, we have been together since 2009, Mm -hmm. almost 10 years or more than 10 years. Yeah, nearly 11. Um, And married since 2014. (laughs) We've done this so many times and he's still pretending that he doesn't know when we got married. It's so great. Um, (laughs) So I'm... Uh, a history and English teacher by trade. I also run a small photography business on the side, um, you know, because you're never busy enough when you're a teacher. So and now make podcasts. And now make podcasts as well woo-woo, for um, <laughs> multitasking. And I'm, I'm an engineer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very much like chalk and cheese we are. Been through a lot in the last 10 years of our relationship. We've travelled and... Renovated a house. Yeah, and gone through fertility gone treatment. Gone through fertility treatment. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little bit awkward with talking to new people, and he can't see anyone that he's actually talking to. So it's even more awkward for him. So basically, let's start at the start. Okay, our fertility story. Yeah, here we go. So we've basically, you know, the whole time we've been together for ten years, we've never really used any sort of contraception apart from those first six months or so we were together not consistently not no definitely (laughs) not consistently um so basically we used you know i was i had some the implant on in my arm and i had that removed because that lots of complications and from that point onwards we went high and dry um and we never made a baby yeah and we probably uh you know, there was a point where we decided that we did want a baby and, mm-hmm. you know. Very much so after we were married, I think that was yeah the tipping point for myself. I just wanted to be married and very old school. <laughs> yeah, so basically I, I think, you know, we were just carrying along in our lives thinking that everything was fine. Yeah. Um, which I think most people do until they start, they decide to start trying for a baby and Right after I got ma- we got married, we or I got accepted into my postgraduate program to do teaching. So we put it off for another year, mm-hmm. and then we wanted to do. I wanted to do my first twelve months of teaching to get my first year under my belt. So we put off making a baby for another year. And again, just keep in mind, this whole time we weren't using any form of contraception apart from mm-hmm. pulling out. Um, I think Ezra just thought it was a bit hard to make a baby. Yeah, I did. And, and I thought I was pretty good at 
pulling out and, and timing his <laughs> timing. ejaculations. <laughs> um, so we decided to start actively trying at the end of 2016, um, mm-hmm. beginning of 2017. So we were traveling around, we were doing a bit of a road trip around America, which has always been a bit of a long-term dream of ours. Hey. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess we probably tried, um, you know, pretty consistently for 12 to 18 months. Um, yep. before deciding to go and get some help. Yeah. So we got back from the States and I think, you know, like we had started, I'd always had really regular periods. So I always knew like sort of when I was ovulating, I could feel it. Um, so I think I approached Ezra first, um, and we were renovating our house at the time. So we actually, weren't living there I think when we decided to go see our doctor our GP and sort of express concern and at this at the start Ezra was really um hesitant to sort of admit that there was anything wrong yeah I guess I probably thought it was hard to make a baby yeah (laughs) and obviously we all know it's not um for some people so we did all sorts of stuff before going to the GP so you know, <laughs> we did ovulation tests and ovulation tests. <laughs> so I was pissing on a stick every, what felt like every week <laughs> because I was pissing to see when I was ovulating and I was pissing to see if I was pregnant and I fucking wasn't. So something in my gut told me that this wasn't quite right. Um, and so we went to our GP and she sent us off, no questions asked. Hey. Yeah, and gave us some options of fertility specialists. Yeah, to go see. So I did a lot of research, and we picked mm-hmm. a couple, and couldn't get into our first one. Um, he was meant to be really good. He incorporated lots of Eastern medicine, te- um, you know, approaches as well as Western medical approaches, and I kind of really liked that. I liked his demeanour, but unfortunately, he's retired since we wanted to start. So we ended up going to another. Another guy who was fantastic. Mm. We can't can't fault him Absolutely. at all. Okay, so our first appointment at our fertility specialist. Yeah, at our clinic. Uh, it was pretty scary, to be honest. I think sitting in that waiting room, I had a lot of thoughts sort of going around, hoping to God, or you know, I'm not religious, but hoping to anything that it was just going to be a simple fix. I think. Yeah. What about you, Ez? Yeah, I think I think we're all hoping for that. I mean... Do you think you were a bit in denial? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... And, yeah, I was just hoping that he was just going to tell us to go home and try harder, <laughs> I guess. Because <laughs> Ezra was enjoying trying to make a baby. <laughs> Felt a bit used, but <laughs> I sure, didn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so at that first appointment, he did a scan. So, you know, what I lovingly refer to as twat wanding, we got twat wanded and he was able to see that I just ovulated through a number of different means. One specifically, I remember the pouch of Douglas. Is that what he called it? I can't remember that. Yeah, I can remember all the fluid and I had, um, turns out I had polycystic ovaries. I don't have the syndrome, but I've got... Lots of yeah. semi-mature follicles there ready to blast off. 
And um, so he was sort of pretty adamant that, you know, with regular periods and seeing that I'd ovulated that everything was a-okay. I didn't have any symptoms of endo or any sort of other, any anything else indicating that there was anything going on. Mm-hmm. So there was no need, because I was fully prepared to go in for, a, um, you know, whatever we needed to do. Um, yeah, and then uh, he suggested that we... Well, no, like Get he my looked, sperm looked at. Yeah. Yeah. Because he he pretty much looked across the table at Ezra and was so, like, mate, yeah, I don't he... usually point the finger, but I think it's you. <laughs> We're not here to play the brain game, but hey, buddy, <laughs> you got a problem. Yeah. And so we did that, you know, we did that as soon as we could. And within a few days had a phone call with some pretty devastating news that, that, yeah, there was no chance of us falling pregnant naturally. Mm-hmm. So my sperm has poor morphology. I can't remember the statistics, but it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I think it's like below 1%, isn't it? Like Something like, like 1% that. of yeah, your sperm yeah. is normal. And like you need 20, at least 20 million sperm to fall pregnant naturally, I think. 15 to 20 million. And Ezra's got like one. <laughs> Yeah. Like one million, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually not. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I think they're all swimming the wrong way. Yeah. So he's got two heads, two tails, really special. We call it his homosperm. So they all swim around in a circle and bang into each other and try to go each different way. <laughs> yeah. So basically over that phone call, he suggested that that ICSI would really be our only option for, for having a baby. Mm-hmm. So, um, so like, we sort of skipped all those steps. The IUIs, IUIs and, and IVF, yes, and went to straight to what is it? Intra intracytoplasmic sperm injection. injection. Yes, I remembered. Yeah, so I think I, you know, that phone call. I, I sort of remember. I was in class teaching my kids, and I always have my phone on my desk. I know, I shouldn't do that, but. Um, I remember seeing his name come up on my screen and thinking, okay, he's gotten his results back and because we knew what's happening and, you know, just thinking it was going to be something simple, like he had too many killer cells and we'd just take some tablets and it'd be, all be fine. And it wasn't. And I remember calling him back straight after class and you were really upset. Yeah. You were really upset. I think you were actually in a bit of shock, to be honest, because you were still at work, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty hard to take. Like, I always felt like I wanted kids, mm-hmm. and and I felt like that was taken away. Yeah, which is tough. I think mm-hmm. tough. Um, so, yeah, there were lots of tears involved in that, and the process of sort of grieving what we lost and what we realised that we could probably never or potentially might never have, which is the same as everybody else who I think realises they go through fertility treatment, I think you definitely go through a process of grief. Mm, For sure. You know, um, I think you offered for me to actually leave at one point. I I felt like I, you know, I had taken that away from you as well. Yeah. The, the, The opportunity to have kids and the opportunity to be pregnant and, and have a baby grow inside you and mm-hmm. and to have all those experiences. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I felt responsible. Yeah. And it's pretty hard, like, being his partner and being his wife and all of, you know, all of that and seeing um, Ezra go through 
that process and knowing that all I could do was hold space for him and try to talk to him, talk him through it. And, you know, I, I told him when he, once he offered to, to give me a divorce, a get out of jail free card, I suppose you were giving me. Yeah. Um, I just said, no, like that I didn't marry him with the pretense of having kids like marry, you know, I didn't say I do, but oh, side note, like as long as we can have kids, I'll stay married to you. It was, all or nothing for me. So if we couldn't have kids and we never had kids, then of course I would be really upset about that. But as long as we're together, I would be happy. And so I think through that, that conversation, we talked a lot about potentially adopting. Yeah. We did a lot of research about Mm -hmm. that. Um, And I'm sure anyone who knows or who's done a lot of research knows it's quite difficult or it's, it's a long process Mm -hmm. and we just didn't know if we were willing to wait that long, I'm not going to lie. We were getting pretty impatient. Mm-hmm. Um, and we looked at fostering as well, because I had worked with a lot of foster students uh, through my teaching and, and case managing. Um, and so I'd cons- we considered that as well, I think. And again, we just couldn't handle, we decided that we just couldn't handle handing our kids back over to their biological parents, I think was yeah. the biggest thing. Um, and we also talked about not having kids. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, we did. Yeah. For sure. So we we talked we talked a lot. We talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um. So basically, obviously, we decided to start IVF, and I mean, I think it was such a big conversation previous, like to to get started and to make the decision to get started because I had always been so adamant that I didn't want to go through IVF. Yeah. Well, I guess we. We'd also talked about that before we were even in that position. Yeah, we did. And you made it pretty clear that you never wanted to go through IVF. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty pretty brutal with some of the things <laughs> that I say I'll never do, and then I eat my words when I have to do them. Um, yeah, I just had this preconceived notion that IVF made bitches go crazy. And, you know, like the hormones and just that the hormones were foreign and they were poison and like bearing in mind, I had no idea about anything. Cause I just, you know, this was all yeah. Preconceived notions with no substantive evidence to prove either way. So I think once we figured out and we, and we spoke to our doctor, so we had to go in and talk to our doctor mm. and he, I asked him all of these questions and he told me, you know, no, they don't actually affect you that much. And he walked us through it and he, said that it should be fine yeah, um, and that I would need to go on quite a low dosage because of my polycystic ovaries. Yeah, and I think he sort of gave us a lot of hope mm-hmm. um, he did. for our specific situation mm-hmm. um, given that it was it was male infertility yeah. and, and, and not female infertility. Yep. Um, there were higher success rates. Mm-hmm even though our statistics were really quite low, like under 40%. Yeah. I remember hearing that and just thinking, holy shit, yeah, like yeah. what are we doing? Like if, if it's under 40%, like if I remember saying to Ezra, like if you were getting on a roller coaster and they're like, yeah, there's a 40% chance that you're going to live. Yeah. So it's on, like a 60% chance you're going to die on this roller coaster. Would you do it? No, you fucking wouldn't. Like yeah. you wouldn't do it. And... I just remember that whole thought process of thinking this is just so shit. Like I just kept cycling with that, that, you know, it was very much a grief process. I can see that now. Yeah. It was yeah. grief. Um, 
So we decided to go ahead and me being me, once we'd made that decision, it was very much go, you know, gung ho, guns blazing. Had to do it straight away. Pull the gate, got to do it straight away. <laughs> so we actually started our first round of IVF for my 28th birthday. Yep. And, you know, again, that sitting in that waiting room, that appointment, it was very much an emotional time for me, I think, you know, lying on the bed in the, um, like the ultrasound room of our fertility clinic, um, he, the doctor left us there for a bit. I think he was probably seeing another patient and letting us settle down and, and stuff. And I started to cry because I was so scared and frightened of what was about to happen. Cause I just, I had no idea. It was also uncertain for me mm-hmm. and it was me having to do everything. Yeah. I was having to inject myself and just was hard. Yeah. No. So we did that. I think, you know, Ezra still felt that level of guilt, um, particularly when, you know, we're starting on my birthday. It's supposed to be a happy time. And on that day, it just kind of wasn't. It was kind of flat. And mm-hmm. and I, after our appointment where, you know, I'd received my first uh, injection as a nurse gives it to you and... I'd gone to see one of my closest, nearest, dearest and oldest friends who had just given birth two days before that, mm-hmm. which FYI, guys, not a good idea. Um, <laughs> starting IVF and then going to visit someone who's got a newborn baby and still in the hospital. Don't know what the fuck I was thinking with that. Um, but I wanted to support her and, you know, I think I wanted just to show the world that I was fine and mm. just carry on as per normal. And mm. I just don't think you can really do that. I think you need to really admit to yourself that and validate your feelings. Yeah, around the go whole through thing. it all. Yeah. Um, so we did a relatively short cycle, didn't we? So we, our protocol was like in under, basically under a week. So we were doing, um, the morning and evening injections and then we did we also included orgalutran at night so Ezra ended up needing to give me the injections because I couldn't do it myself I would (laughs) nearly faint and you know I'm not afraid of needles and stuff I just can't give them to myself um yeah I think the first morning I was trying to quickly do it before I went to school and then I realized that, hey, I actually have to shove this in my stomach and inject the drugs into me. I used to have to, I would wake you up really early in the morning so you were still half asleep. Yep. And do it then because Mm -hmm. if you were too awake, you would keep flinching and... And being like, no, stop, don't do it now, don't do it now, stop. And it was really helpful. That's when our cat, Edgar, was really great because he would sort of curl up beside me and... Mm -hmm. I'd pat him and sort of wriggle my fingers and toes to sort of distract myself. And again, like, you know, got a few tattoos and fine with getting immunizations and, and blood tests and all that sort of stuff. Not a problem, but just, yeah. Someone inexperienced giving you needles. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the issue. Yeah. So we did that. And then, so yeah, we, we implemented Orgelia Trend, um, which I don't know if anyone else is doing that listening to this podcast is is currently doing that or with through or Galutran. Um but let's just say that shit is fucked. That needle is huge. The last one. 
Yeah, the, the trigger. The, the, no, no, not the trigger. The Ogawa train, the one at night time. You had oh, okay. to give it. He had to give it to me like three or four times, and yeah, yeah. it was like the needle was really big, and the yeah. gauge was really big, and you know, I remember just it would sting and itch afterwards. Remember, it come up like a big welt, yeah, and yeah. you know, cold compressors, guys. After that, it works a treat. Um, but I just. You know, the needle was really thick, and yes. I think Ezra felt like he was going to puncture my intestines or bowel <laughs> or something, you know. And that was when I got most of my bruising, I think, is from that needle because yeah. it was so big. And just an, a quick tip for those of you who are listening, you put the, the pointy bit on the bottom because then it gets through the subcutaneous <laughs> that easier. I remember him saying, Ezra saying to me, he wishes that my stomach was a bit... A bit, <laughs> a bit chubbier. A bit chubbier. <laughs> so he didn't feel like I'd... He'd inject me halfway through to my spine. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was a pretty pretty short. We were pretty, uh, you know, I don't want to say lucky. I, I, I don't want to use that word. the hardest part was the egg collection. Yeah, I think but, but with our protocol. With the protocol, yeah, I don't feel like the hormones had a huge effect on you or, or you know, the way you were. or mm-hmm. They didn't. I think I think my I think they actually made my moods a lot better. <laughs> they regulated me a bit more, and I yeah. I didn't feel any side effect. In fact, actually, yeah, I I you know, I did feel a side effect. I had a lot of mind fog, and I think the reason that I had a lot of mind fog is because I was trying to wrap my head around how IVF worked and what injections we needed to do at that time and. We need, obviously everything needs to be around the same time and I was working full-time teaching and um, if there's any teachers out there or people who know teachers um, that those guys work really hard and I was working long hours you know I'd get to school at 7 30 and I wouldn't leave sometimes till six and then if I would if I left earlier I would, I would work until 8 30 9 o'clock at night and so it was, it was busy time and so I had a lot of mind fog and I was really tired. The, the drugs really took it out of me. But in terms of mood swings, totally fine. Mm. Um, and then so I think, yeah, we only did it for a week and then I took I did the trigger, mm-hmm. I think, 48 hours before, before the egg collection. The egg collection, yeah. Um, sorry, guys, this is a quite a long time ago for us in the grand, you know, a couple of years ago. So mm. um, took the trigger again went in so my egg collection was quite early in the morning um so i had to we had to go in and and wait in the hospital i was you know waiting alone because they they didn't let ezra come through to wait with me and my anesthesis was running really late so i had to sit there alone and sort of stare at the clock i think my egg collection was supposed to be at 7 30 or something and you know obviously as you know like you can't eat or drink anything beforehand for like 12 hours mm. So I was starving and, um, you know, sitting there waiting alone, looking at those stupid bloody magazines that they've got in the waiting rooms with my stupid hairnet on and my stupid coat and my stupid booties and everything was stupid. And I was feeling really emotional that day. I think I was quite scared about going under general anaesthetic. I've only been under one time previously and it was, it just knocked me around a bit. So I wasn't looking forward to it. Uh, and then my doctor took me through and he asked me some questions and then, you know, uh, once my anaesthetist arrived, they sort of walked me down the hallway and I jumped off on the bed in the theatre room and um, I 
think I started to have a bit of a breakdown at that time. It was just all the emotions sort of pent up and our doctor was sort of holding my hand and stroking me and telling me that I've been doing a really good job and he was he was just really comforting and really beautiful. Um, and I'm so grateful for him in that time because obviously, again, Ezra wasn't there, so I didn't have my main support. And he was the last voice I heard as I went under uh, and he yeah was giving me soft words of encouragement and then the next thing I know I've woken up and my eggs have been collected now yeah Ezra's story what what were you doing Ezra <laughs> while I was going under and having my ovaries punctured <laughs> multiple times well they required a fresh sample to fertilize the eggs mm-hmm. um so I was doing my duty there mm-hmm. and they... he's trying to be so polite about it <laughs> it's so hilarious he was jacking off <laughs> <laughs> trying to <laughs> <laughs> they said you off to a, a special room and... so she remember she gave you the collection of dvds beforehand yeah though? that's right <laughs> yeah there was a dvd wallet and um and off you go to a special room. Which is just, like, so obvious, though. Like, you're walking through the hallways with this, like, yeah. CD, DVD wallet. wallet. <laughs> and everyone's like, know what that guy's going to be doing later. <laughs> it's, like, great. Uh, especially going to that room. And then... So um, she gave you the directions to the room. Too. Yes. Hey, so yeah. you had to drop me off where I was getting my collection. And then you had to, to toddle off to this room. Toddle and he had to, to remember room. directions. And Ezra's not... Hey, I found it. You did, but you're not great at directions verbally. <laughs> that wasn't the problem. Okay. The problem was I couldn't find the light switch. And... <laughs> <laughs> this is so great. I had to twitch his arm to get him to tell you. So, I go into the room, can't find a light switch anywhere, you know, but I figure... You know, where, modern technology. Where this far into this, I can't let this, you know, stop us. Stop now. us now. So, Meanwhile, Amy's getting her ovaries punctured multiple times. So I go about doing things by the torchlight on my phone. Mm-hmm. And I think you you didn't actually use the DVD wallet, did you? You just used your phone and the torch. That's right. Yeah. 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 So we're just. I'm trying to be efficient here. Yeah. <laughs> In this foreign room where multiple other men have (laughs) also ejaculated. (laughs) Well, anyway, it was. um, It turned out not to be such a big problem because sometime in the middle, someone walking past turned the light on for me. (laughs) Which which gave me a bit of a surprise. And then, yeah, I guess I needed to compose myself again and... and so, like, just just let's stop here for a second. <laughs> Do you find it hard to aim at that time? Like, so how did you plan to aim it into the cup in the dark with the torch on yeah, well, while holding your phone and your penis? That was the issue. But there was that's why I needed the torch and the phone. Mm. So... So you were trying to multitask, I'm proud. Yeah. Nice work. I wasn't going to let it stop us. Committed to the cause. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Anyway, 
maybe some mood lighting would be better in those rooms yeah. for future reference to these people. <laughs> FYI, guys. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, then I went down to wait for Amy. Yep, collected your sample and off you trotted. Did they give you a paper bag to put it in or did you just have a walk, you know, holding it? No, no, you get a paper bag. Sick. It's paper even bag. more obvious like that, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, remember when you had to collect your sample at home and you did it at home, like for your sperm testing? Yeah, that's right. And you did it at home and then, and then you... had to keep it warm the whole way in. Which were like, you know, 40 minutes away from yeah, yeah. where our clinic was. Yeah. Chest pocket. Yeah. Yeah. I think you were on the motorbike. You were riding the so. motorbike yeah. MT. Yeah. So interesting. Um, yeah. So, you know, getting back away from the sperm... He's nodding at me like, yep, finally, <laughs> let's get away from my, my ejaculation. Um, so I woke up and they had collected 12 eggs, I think. And that was great. We sort of rejoiced for five minutes, you know, as you do with IVF, or we, as we did anyway, we sort of rejoiced for five minutes and then we despaired for the rest of the time, I think. Yeah. So in total, we lost seven of the 12. Um, I think straight up two weren't mature enough. Two of my eggs weren't mature enough to fertilize. Um, and after that, they inseminated the sperm and the rest of the, you know, the seven that we didn't make, that didn't make it, didn't make it. They yeah. stopped. Stopped developing. Stopped developing. And I, you know, I remember thinking, um, that this was the hardest thing we were ever going to go through in our lives, you know, um, these six days waiting to see if these embryos would develop. And, you know, we organised for the extra... What did we organise? What did, what was it called again? The... Um, this, the... Uh, the um, uh, so instead micros- of... Ha- like a microscopy of the, of the developing yeah, embryos. Yeah, so they put them into like this little thing where they had like a live video feed basically of it rather mm-hmm. than pulling it in and out to check on it. And so we called the clinic every day and spoke to the scientists who were watching our embryos developed and they gave us like a, a blow by blow basically mm-hmm. of what our embryos were doing. And, and each time we just were gutted, I think every time we heard we'd lost another one or, mm-hmm. and you know, because like the attrition rate is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's what our nurses had told us at our information appointment and, you know, we were anticipating, you know, we'd read, we'd read stories of people who, you know, had gotten 27 eggs and none to transfer, mm-hmm. you know. So we were very much aware of that this could not end well, mm-hmm. I think. And, and that was sort of hanging over our heads the whole time. And we, you know, I remember we were having lunch, I think, with my family and they didn't really have an understanding of IVF um, at all. And... You know, we'd just, you'd just gotten off the phone from the scientists and we'd lost another one, I think, or they yeah. were saying a couple weren't developing as much. And that's why a couple, um, I think the first two were five-day blasties and we've got three left in the freezer. So mm-hmm. they're six-day blasties. I think they left, they let the rest go yeah. Yeah, to yeah. six days just to sort of make sure that they were going to be developed enough to transfer and that they weren't going to, to stop developing. So... Um, we opted to do a fresh transfer. So all within that same month of starting IVF, you know, I, we had uh, a little MB transferred in. 
So a nice little fresh, fresh embryo transferred. Um, and that actually wasn't by our normal fertility specialist. It was by another person who yeah. filled in because our fertility specialist sort of jet sets off around the world and lectures and is all very up to date. Um, so we had someone else doing the transfer and, you know, we didn't, he was, he was lovely, but wasn't our doctor. Yeah. Um, didn't seem to want to answer our questions that much. Seemed a bit. Yeah, probably just not the same sort of... Bedside manner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, and so, we, you know, we did the transfer and then what I actually think now is the hardest part of the entire process is the two-week fucking wait. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. That shit is hard, mate. Anyone who's in that two-week wait, fucking hats off to you. Yeah. Because that shit sent me insane. Um, just the not knowing. Oh, the not knowing and the wondering and the trying not to hope and, yeah, you know, because you're trying to just be realistic about it and mm. that you keep reminding yourself that this might not happen, and but it might. And, you know, you're pregnant until, what is it, Papo? Pregnant until proven otherwise. And, That's it. You know, they're just really sort of that time in your life is just really difficult to get through. So we're in the two-week wait and you know, you you kind of, the thought about testing is always in the back of your mind. Um, and they tell you not to, they tell you to wait for the blood test. Yeah. Which I'm not I mean, sure what anyone does. I don't think I've heard anyone do that. <laughs> Again, anyone who does that, kudos to you because you're amazing. <laughs> but we couldn't do it. So uh, we were testing, you know, four days after the, the transfer and then yeah. five days and, you know, we'd, we had researched everything. We knew that the clear blue wasn't the way to go. Oh, no, we didn't figure that out, actually, until no. our next transfer. So we yeah. were testing on clear blue. And obviously, now we know that the pink dye tests are more sensitive. Yeah, yeah. So first response, guys, all the way. Um, <laughs> take out shares in the company first, though. Um, and so, unfortunately, that transfer didn't take um, so that was actually a medicated cycle as well. So I was taking Proginova mm-hmm. twice a day, morning and night, and I was also popping the beautiful Eutrogesterone uh, pessaries up there to try and encourage the little MB to sort of nestle in tight and stay in there. and Build up that lining. Build up that lining. Build that house nice and comfy for that little baby. And it didn't want to stay. So... Uh, you know, I, I ended up getting my period actually while I was at work on a spare. Um, it was quite heavy and I called my fertility specialist and just said to the nurse that I'd gotten my period and I think that was when it hit me that I wasn't pregnant and I started to cry and, you know, I'm not a big crier, uh, but I was sobbing pretty much uncontrollably at that time because I think I was just so gutted and just the why me question started and the this is shit and again like I you need to let yourself feel those feelings Mm -hmm. I think that's really important so Mm -hmm. and I didn't I didn't do that I was just like no um let's keep going and you know so it's just and I think around that time we'd had a massive storm to sort of rip through our house did um, lots of damage, needed a new roof, water damage to the inside of a freshly renovated home. You know, it was a pretty hard time in our lives and yeah, pretty, we are, I think, quite a, yeah. Quite a few things went wrong. It did. And, 
you know, I was coming down off the medication again, which made me actually feel like I had depression. I, ca- I called my fertility specialist and said, like, is this normal? And, and he sort of said, yeah, it is just as long as, you know, you're aware that this may not work mm-hmm. or that, you know, that, that we can always try again, you know. He was, again, pretty supportive, but I, I don't feel like he was pretty... I mean, he could have been a little bit more upfront about that to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, all I could do was sleep. And I think maybe I was a little bit depressed about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hindsight, you can see all of these things now. And I, I couldn't see that while I was in the thick of it because I wasn't letting myself sort of process what was going on. I was just forging ahead uh, again, like a bullet a gate, which is what I do with things. And then I think about it afterwards. So we actually, in saying that though, we actually did give ourselves a month off, remember? Yeah, we did. We did. So that was in October and then November, we just wanted to let my cycle regulate itself Mm -hmm. and sort of to give my body a break of all the medications that we were taking and, Mm -hmm. well, that I was taking, not we, but... um, And then December. And then we went back in December. We did a frozen cycle. So we did a frozen FET. Yep. So again, in the lead up, progging over twice a day. And then once the little MB was transferred, it was Uterogestrin, uh three times a day, I think, Pesri. So I was inserting those at work, which mm-hmm. was wonderful. You know, they're leaking out all day, changing penny lighters 20 million times and all of that. Um, so again, so we transferred that little MB on the 18th of December. Yep. Yep. Um... And again, our doctor said, don't test. He said, if you're going to at home test, because I think he knew that we were going to, you know, (laughs) you wait until this date, the Wednesday afterwards, don't start testing any earlier. And of course, (laughs) we didn't listen. Yeah. Um, So we started testing on the Friday. Again, clear blue test. What the hell were we thinking? I think I had one left. So I just did it before we opened the first response box. Yeah, yeah. And that was negative. Negative. And then the next morning. Oh, hang on. Like, I remember... So, I, I did that test and then I remember seeing it was negative. And at that stage in, in our lives and after the amount of pregnancy tests I'd taken, I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'm not even going to go b- bother looking at it. I'm just going to leave it on the, the toilet or the counter in the bathroom because yeah. it's just going to be negative. And I can't bear to see that window being nothing, like no no white lines, no nothing, mm-hmm. you know, no, no lines there, no nothing, and just sort of mocking me. And then Ezra went and picked it up, said it was negative, and then I remember looking, I was watching TV and I've looked into the kitchen and he sort of bent over the oven light or, like, you know, the overhead light, sort of trying to reflect to see if there's a squinter in there and <laughs> I was taking photos and trying to, you know... <laughs> negative the photos to see if there was a line and there wasn't no nothing there wasn't anything there and i've still got that test today so there's definitely nothing there and then the next morning we tried a first response and again amy did the same thing put it up on the shelf didn't want to look at it because we already expected the result given the night before mm-hmm and I think I went in there and looked at it mm-hmm. and saw the faintest line, the faintest line. And I was so hesitant to tell Amy because we had had so much go wrong 
and and I think and just so much heartache with so much heartache these fucking tests. So I was so cautious in going there and telling Amy, and I showed her. And her face just lit up. Well, I remember you coming in and I was like, oh, is there, is there anything there? And you're like, oh, I think I see something. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck do you mean you think you, th- you think you see something? What? <laughs> and then... There was something. It came in and... Because I had read, you know, false positives are very rare. Yes. And I yanked it out of his hands so fast and looked at it. And I was like, oh my God, that's a positive test. Yeah. And... We sort of hugged, yeah, and fell into the bed, and that's it. I will never forget that feeling of just like utter elation. Yeah, and yeah, and like that's it. Like what we thought was the hard part was over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like just yeah. we thought it was finished. Like yeah. we were done, and then I'm pregnant. Yeah. And just that, you know, knowing that we had done all of that and it it had worked was just a crazy, crazy thing mm-hmm. to do. You know, it was it was just the the weirdest feeling. I think for me, I think I was in shock. Mm-hmm. And I actually messaged Tiffany and sent her a picture of the test because that day I went out and I came back and I took another one Yeah, yeah. in the afternoon and the line kept getting stronger and I messaged her and I was like, look. And, yeah, she was pretty happy for us because yeah, she'd known yeah. what we'd been going through. And, yeah, like it was just a really nice thing to be able to tell people that it had actually worked. So the next question is, how has IVF affected your relationships, intimate and friendships? So... I mean, I felt like it affected all aspects of, I mean, not all aspects, but aspects of every relationship in our life. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, especially, you know, um, becoming, for me, coming from a family where, you know, I have quite a, a lot of siblings, you know, I've got four, four other siblings, and it's generally... It was generally expected that, or just anticipated, I think, that I, we were going to be able to make a baby quite quite easily, you know, and we didn't actually tell my parents until we were pretty much going through the, about to go through the treatment and had our diagnosis, so we didn't even tell them beforehand that we were trying for a baby, did we? No. So, we didn't even tell your parents. No. No, and then we did tell them when we were trying through IVF, mm-hmm. and I feel like y- your family wasn't very understanding. Mm-hmm. I feel like my family, I f- they didn't. I, f- I feel like there was a not knowing what to say sort of vibe. Yeah, uh, I not, yeah. not knowing how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I, I think in a way, particularly in the mindset that I was in at that time too, it was more about me trying to make everyone else feel comfortable rather than trying to process what I was going through or we were going through together. Um, And I think, you know, there's obviously, you know, most of our friends, because at this time we didn't know that Tiffany and Joe were also having to go through fertility treatment, so we felt we were the only ones that were having to do this at our age. 
and like I don't know about you but I felt like we were quite young to be having to go through fertility treatment like my um stereotype that I constructed in my head before we started was that you know it was always someone who was like late 40s you know yeah sure career person who'd left it too late sort of thing and that's I know that sounds terrible but before you met me yeah (laughs) (laughs) but I think at the end of the day too like it's sort of I don't know I think we were just unsure ourselves you know, and I, I called, I remember calling one of my friends um, and talking to her about it. And she, she was really empathetic and started to cry over the phone, you know, for just everything that we were going through. And that was really lovely. But like you said, I think there was just an element of not really, for people not really knowing what to say to us, Yeah. you know. Um, and I mean, in terms of our relationship, I think it impacted our relationship the most out of anything. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I feel like intimacy was affected. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a whole like all aspects of our relationship, really. Yeah, I feel like it kind of took over. Yeah, like the 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 idea of making a baby became predominant. <laughs> you know, pretty dominant in our heads and in our lives at that time. And like you know, like I've said earlier, we were. Or I was a bullet gate. I feel like our sex life sort of stopped entirely mm-hmm. for that period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I, we were going through agree. fertility treatment. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think you know, sex definitely lost a purpose for us. You know, particularly for me, it was sort of like, well, if we can't make a baby by, you know, penetration, then what's the what's the point? Mm-hmm. I think because we'd been going at it with such fervor beforehand, you know, we had sort of lost sight of our own marriage foundations, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. Would you say that? Yeah, I think so. Mm. And I think it's taken us quite some time to sort of rebuild that to as recover. well. Yeah, exactly. And then because after having a baby, mm. you know, it's changes again. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, IVF definitely changed the landscape of our intimacy and um, like I know myself that after I had gone through you know IVF and my egg collection and things like that like I felt like a pin cushion and I didn't feel sexy at all you know particularly when we're going through IVF treatment and I already looked like I was six months pregnant with bloat you know and that took a while to come out of my system and and like I've said earlier again I think the drugs actually they didn't make me go crazy, but I think they made me feel a bit flat and a bit depressed. So they kind of suppressed any libido that I might have already had. And a bit foggy or... Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I feel like, yeah, like overall IVF did really affect our relationships in a substantial way, but we didn't recognise that at the time. Yeah. You know, like I remember having a conversation with your mum after we'd told her and she was saying, I told her that we couldn't have children. And she was saying that, you know, she was actually crying and saying to me that she was wondering if it was, had, was something that she had done wrong, you know, as a mother or when she was pregnant with you, you know? Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's a sense of responsibility there. Like, mm. I guess I felt a sense of responsibility too because... I was the cause of this problem. 
Okay, worst comment you have received about going through IVF? Um, time to trade in for a new missus. Mm, that lovely neighbour of ours, who <laughs> also, might I add, went through fertility treatment to have his two kids. Um, so I definitely feel like the worst advice that I had received was that people are going through worse things. Um, that was said by someone quite close to me that, you know, after I'd spoken to them and, you know, started to cry and highlighted my fears and how I was frightened and things like that, this person then t- turned around and said to me that, you know, people had gone through worse things and that this wasn't actually that bad. Um, I think that was probably literally the worst thing someone could have said to me at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the old um, so-and-so has been through so many cycles of IVF and then they fell pregnant, pregnant naturally, naturally. You or know, with a turkey based thought. Yeah, after they decide to stop. Woohoo, good for Joe Blogs and Joanne. Um, that was very much a thing that I think a lot of people said, you know, like, oh, you know, or what about, no, no, what about the one that's like, Oh, you know, if you stop thinking about it, it'll happen. <laughs> that one? Yes. We tried not thinking about it a oh, lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mate, never say that to anyone going through IVF. Um, also, you know, so what, what advice could you offer friends and family going through IVF? Um, I guess... Maybe try and educate yourself a bit on it mm-hmm. and sort of know a bit of fundamentals when yep. you talk about it. As in to the fertility specialist, go armed with knowledge to the fertility specialist or? No, friends and family when you talk to them. Okay. Yep. Well, hopefully, you know, eventually people will be able to direct them to this podcast <laughs> so they can listen. Um, I think the biggest thing for, you know, if my friends or family were going through IVF, um, I would just be checking in and saying, hey, I know you're going through this really tough time, so is there something you would need from me? Explicitly just asking or, you know, just holding space for them and letting them cry and grieve for what they're lost, what they've lost or what they're losing. Um, I think that's something that I really, really wanted when I was going through it and I don't, I didn't feel like I could do that. Mm. I didn't even feel like I could do that with Ezra, I think, because with you, because I felt really aware that you felt responsible for this whole situation. So I felt like I was sort of holding it together for everybody. So if I even you know, started to talk to you about how deeply I was feeling about some of these things that it would all come undone, you know. So I think even throughout that whole process, like, I felt very alone, Mm -hmm. you know. So just providing an ear for somebody to talk to and Mm -hmm. letting them, letting them just let it all out and either, you know, just asking is, do you want advice or do you just want someone to listen to you? Mm -hmm. I think that's really important for someone going through IVF is that they've got a solid support base. Mm -hmm. And, you know, each to their own, everyone chooses to handle things in different ways. But I just know for myself, I think the best thing or or the thing that I wanted the most was someone to talk to that Mm -hmm. 
understood what we were going through, you know. And I don't think I've mentioned this before, but we didn't even tell Tiffany and Joe what we were going through until after we'd been diagnosed mm-hmm. and to well into it. Yeah, well into it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember messaging Tiffany over Facebook and saying, Oh, you know, we're just going through some medical things at the moment and she was like, Oh, I hope everything's okay and I think I ended up opening up to her about about it eventually, but you know, I was worried that it was an overshare. And that I was overstepping some boundaries. And I think at the end of the day, like, yeah, I felt like it was something that we needed to keep between the two of us because it was something that should have been, it was something that was shameful because we couldn't reproduce. Yeah. I felt shame because of that, I think. And shame, you know, is a really hard emotion to deal with. And I think, you know, by not wanting to talk to Tiffany and Joe about it, you know, just goes to show, like, they were going through the exact same thing at the same time, and we didn't even know it, you Mm -hmm. know, and so I think basically just constantly checking in to wrap it up would be the best thing that you can do, just saying, hey, like, how are you going, and is there anything I can do? Yeah. And also just, I think, Ezra made a really good point earlier, just going in armed with questions ready to go with your fertility specialist, Mm -hmm. even writing them down. Do your research. Yeah. Understand. Even research the drugs, ask your fertility specialist Mm -hmm. what drugs you're going to be on and and things like that. Do not be afraid to ask questions because it is your body that these Mm -hmm. things are being done to. And you have every right to know every little detail and if, you know, your doctor's making you feel like that's a burden answering those questions, that maybe that's not the right doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not the right approach to medical care that you need. Like, our doctor, he would have sat there all day, I think, and answered mm-hmm. our questions. And we asked a lot of questions. Well, Ezra did anyway, because I, <laughs> I sort of have this thing where I go into the doctor's office and I'm blank. I'm just, like, blinded by the light sort of thing, and... Before I go in there, I have all these questions. Sometimes I even write them down on my phone and I never answer, I never pull it out. I feel either embarrassed or I forget. And Ezra was so good because he was always the one asking questions and saying, like, so does this mean this and does this mean that? And and then the doctor would say, is there any more questions? And I would just always look at Ezra and say, is there any more questions you want to ask? <laughs> He's laughing because he knows it's right. (laughs) Yeah, so go in, doing research, being armed with those questions, and don't be afraid to ask them. Okay, so how would you like someone, a friend, family member, ETC, to tell you that they are pregnant? I think for me... I'll go first, I'll jump in there. Um, I think for me, I would like this person who is pregnant to maybe approach it from the perspective of actually acknowledging how hard it would be to hear this news. So either, you know, actually saying that, like, I'm sorry, this must be really hard for you to hear, but we're expecting... Or, you know, because the last thing I'd want is for anyone in my family or, f- or friendship circle to feel is to feel guilty about having a baby. 
Like I don't, I don't want anyone to feel that. I wouldn't wish fertility treatment on mm. my worst enemy, basically, you know, or just this this process of not being able to have children if if that's what you want to do, you know. Yeah. Um. So I feel like actually just acknowledging and saying, hey, like you know, I know you've been going through that. How's that going? Hearing you out first, and then saying, I know this is going to be really hard to hear, but we're having a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, I think just that. Mm-hmm. is enough for me. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I think that is good. Or they could, you know, if they could tell me first before you maybe, mm-hmm. so we can just avoid them completely, <laughs> that would also be a good way. <laughs> In saying that, I mean, I feel like we need to acknowledge that it must be hard also for other people to come in knowing that we've gone through these things and to tell us. Like, that must be tough. Like, can Mm -hmm. you imagine that being us? Yeah, sure. Like, you wouldn't want to tell them. Yeah, yeah. Because you'd feel so shit, Mm -hmm. you know? But that's, you know, like, you'd go over... I think acknowledging it is key. Yeah, I think so too. Mm -hmm. I think that's really the most important thing that you can do. Okay, if you could speak to you at the start of your fertility treatment now... What would you say? Well, it works the second go. It'd be really nice to know that up front. (laughs) I could go into this feeling a whole lot better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that's a really practical answer. (laughs) Um, I think for me, I would just say to myself, to just that it's obviously going to be okay um, and that just to cry it out, let it all out, mm-hmm. talk to people about it, don't feel embarrassed, don't feel shame, talk to people about it. Like, we need to start normalising this, hence why we're starting this podcast. Like, we need to start normalising talking about fertility treatment, you know, so people know what to say, so people know what to do, so people are aware that... You know, there are people doing this, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd also warn myself that the egg pickup was a lot rougher than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I know there's women out there, and you'll probably hear from some later on in you know, this podcast season, but it was rough for me. Like, it was sore. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And I went back to work. I think we had expectations that the hormone treatment was going to be such a big deal. And then that sort of wasn't really. Yep. And and then the egg pickup was painful. Yeah. I think you've and just... a far bigger deal. Yes. And I think you go through this IVF thing, or this ICSI thing, this fertility treatment thing, and each step you think, this is the hardest step we're going to have to go through. Mm-hmm. You know, when in actual fact, every step... Mm-hmm. Is harder than the last. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that I would probably say to myself is just be prepared. Like it gets, it's hard and it gets harder mm-hmm. as it goes along, you know, like, and it's not easy, but it's not, I don't know, it's not also the end of it. Do you know what I mean? Like there's mm. always another step that you can sort of take. And I think you really nailed it with the fact that you. Like, when you think about IVF and you don't know anything about it, all you think about is the hormones. You don't actually think about anything else. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest thing that I would probably tell myself, if I could go back and speak to me, 
is to research the shit out of everything. And we did end up doing that anyway. Mm-hmm. But research it before we even go in to be spoken to by the by the FS yeah, to yeah. even be told that we we need to go through ICSI, yeah. you know? Like researching that. Yeah, yeah. And just knowing, going on with knowledge. Now, I also just want to acknowledge that we are people who knowledge is power for us. We are really... That's right. We'd prefer to... No, than not know. <laughs> and there might be people out there who want to go through this and just really rely on their doctor and trust what their doctor says. And I want to respect that and just put out a kudos to you because, you know, that's your your process and that's great. Knowing who you are, I think, is key when going through this process and knowing how you handle things is really important. But for me and for us as a couple, I think we, we really like to know things mm-hmm. in and out. You Certainly. Know. Okay, so the next question is, for those of you who had uh, IVF treatment or children from these treatments, how do you think going through fertility treatment has impacted your pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and parenting choices? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big question. Mm-hmm. But I think for this podcast, we'll try and condense it. Yeah, um, I think so too. <laughs> I mean, because it's not the main focus of this, That's right. this podcast either. So I think... We don't want to draw too much attention to it. But I also feel, you know, and as Tiffany and I have discussed multiple times, that this aspect of parenting, I feel like going through fertility treatment has impacted us parenting, our pregnancy, my birth. I feel like we parent or we are just, we go through different emotions, Mm -hmm. people who have gone through fertility treatment. I, I think I did. And I think that's important to recognize because... Again, it's not something that you talk about because once you're pregnant, that's it. You're on the same playing field as everybody else who's pregnant at that time too. You know, your statistics are the same. Everything's meant to line up and be the same. But I don't, I honestly do not feel like the level of anxiety that we had when I was very early pregnant even could match someone who fell pregnant accidentally. Sure. I mean, we had a whole lot more, we had gone through a whole lot more to get to that point yeah so i feel like we had more riding on this or we you know it was just you know absolute bliss when we had this positive test but i feel like that could still be taken away so easily yeah with miscarriage or or a blighted ovum which i researched the shit out of before we went for our first scan like yeah. yeah all these things that Everyone else has exactly the same odds. Yeah. But... But we weren't looking at it like that, I don't think. <laughs> we stressed about it where I think, you know, falling pregnant naturally, those people wouldn't. You know, you take... Yeah. You, naturally, you sort of take it as it comes, whereas... Well, I feel like people who fall pregnant naturally, they don't know the grading of their embryo either. <laughs> like, we knew that we'd fallen pregnant with a 5A embryo, 5AA embryo or something like that, yeah, you know, yeah. or a 5BB embryo. And we had all that information. And I think, just going back to the last question, that was a downfall for us because we do research so much and we do prefer knowledge over not knowing that we that increased our anxieties mm-hmm. when I was pregnant. And, like, I even remember Ezra, um, you know, telling me that my urine was too yellow in the toilet. 
because he was so anxious. And I just think, you know, like, we look back now and... We were on tank water, <laughs> so we wouldn't flush. Yes. But it's just so true, you know? Like, I feel like we walked through that first trimester on eggshells and... You know, like, I had a bleed and at eight weeks and we thought we were losing our baby and, you know, that was, I think I was, you know, again, I was trying to hold it all together and Ezra was saying, no, it's fine. But I think overall our anxiety through that pregnancy was quite high. Um, I think you're hypersensitive. I think so too, yeah. Yeah. And I think because of that we chose... We chose um, obstetric care over midwifery led, and I think that impacted us in a way that we didn't anticipate. We weren't willing to take any chances with this baby, and we thought we were going to the very best hospital, you know, mm-hmm. pro- we could go to in Queensland, mm-hmm. essentially. And um, again, that didn't really, I mean, it worked out okay in the end, but yeah, probably but- we, we won't be doing that again. But we did that, mm-hmm. thinking we were doing the best thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in terms of our birth, I, I very much wanted an all-natural, no-drug, intervention-free birth. I wanted to, I practiced a lot of hypnobirthing. Um, you know, I did a lot of research about how to have a calm birth and things like that. I wanted a water birth. I wanted to catch my baby myself. You know, I wanted to experience every aspect of that birth because I wanted to... I didn't know if this was going to be the only time that I could do that. So I very much felt pressure internally, and I think very much for myself, definitely not from Ezra, that I needed to experience this to its absolute fullest because there were people out there who are trying for this and they can't get it. Mm-hmm. I was aware of that. And so, you know, I would lie awake in bed at night feeling you know, our baby roll around and have the hiccups. And I did sort of feel at the same time, particularly, you know, when you're going through a lot of the pregnancy symptoms that you must be grateful for it, even though it's not something that you're technically enjoying at that very given moment, you know, but you still felt like you couldn't complain about it because other people were trying for this and you should be grateful, Mm. you know, I think that was really tough. Like that was a bit of an internal mind fuck for me because, you know, pregnancy, your hormones are raging. You feel sick. You're not enjoying it, but you don't want to say that because then heaven forbid something happen. Then you'd be telling yourself that you, you know, you would cause this because you'd thought or said something horrible, you know, because I feel like people who go through fertility treatment are very superstitious. I think we are now, you know, like things have to be done a certain way because it worked. (laughs) Um, and you know and I mean in terms of our parenting choices that was my birth and my pregnancy but in terms of our parenting choices I think so yeah I think parenting's pretty crunchy Mm -hmm. so I'm I'm still breastfeeding at 17 months you know like that's important to me that we have that connection and I try and keep it as all natural as possible and you know Junie's a boob fiend she loves it mm-hmm. um yeah lots of wooden toys and yeah <laughs> montessori <laughs> set up you know child very much child-led and i think in gentle parenting for us anyway yeah, yeah. you know other people might be different but and i think 
you know, this is sort of going into territory where you'd sort of actually reflect on your own childhood and all of that sort of stuff. But I think in terms of fertility treatment and how that's impacted our parenting is it's caused us to be actually really informed and research again a lot about things, you know. Yeah. And just I think the biggest thing that impacted me, particularly after Juniper was born, was that I had really bad severe postnatal depression and anxiety. Um, I actually remember the um, child health nurse telling us that at the first appointment, do you remember, mm-hmm. after Junior was born? So Junior was only like a week old. Not even, sorry, she would have been two, she would have been closer to two weeks at that time. Um, and she actually said, like, we told her we'd been through IVF treatment. And she actually said that, okay, well, you know, people who go through fertility treatment are more likely to suffer from postnatal depression, mm-hmm. uh, particularly mothers. She didn't actually give us a, a proper statistic on that, and I haven't actually looked that up to verify that. But I feel like that I very much fulfilled that prophecy for me in terms of. Um, you know, I felt that massive pressure, as I said, when I was pregnant to feel grateful, but then I felt that pressure, you know, just become 10 times, a hundred times worse once I actually had her, that I needed to enjoy every fucking moment of this motherhood journey because we'd fought so goddamn hard for it, you know, and I didn't, I didn't enjoy every aspect of it. In fact, I hated some of it, you know. And I resented myself and, and Ezra and her, our baby, for that. And I remember saying to Ezra, why did we do this? We didn't, we couldn't have kids. Why would we do this to ourselves? Do you remember me saying that? Mm-hmm. And I, I resented that. And I think that pressure it just created this massive cycle for me. And it was just, that was not healthy. Mm-hmm. That was really not healthy. And, you know, I think that's a really big thing to acknowledge is that depression particularly post- perinatal and postnatal depression for women is a really large thing. And and I think for people going through IVF and infertility treatments, like I said, there's that pressure to just to enjoy it. And you might not. Mm-hmm. You might not enjoy it. And that's okay. And that's completely normal. Every parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you enjoy parenting 100% of the time, 24-7? Oh, there are definitely things that I don't enjoy. Yeah. Like not sleeping. Yeah. Or- and also, yeah. Or also just not being able to pick up your shit and go. Yeah. You know, there's things like that. And so I just, I very much, I do feel like it's impacted our parenting choices. And I think it's important to acknowledge because I think if we didn't, that would just be naive of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, okay. All right. So this is the end of our podcast. Our very first one for IVF Tales. Thanks for listening. Yeah. It's, I think... Um, this is a, a new experience for us. If you've gotten this far, you win a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking, you don't. But um, we appreciate you listening. And it's been a bit of a weird process for us, hey? It has been. Yeah. It has been. I think we both... Or I really, you know, anticipating... In anticipating that everyone else would you know, come forward with their stories and talk about it. I felt like it was only right if we did the same thing. And I think I would, I want to acknowledge particularly, you know, because I'm aware that we're going to be talking to some people who, you know, have been through a lot more complicated cases than we have, that our IVF treatment and our fertility treatment was fairly straightforward. I don't want to detract 
from our emotional journey that we went on through that because I think it's all a spectrum and it's all about resilience and things like that. But genuinely want to acknowledge that there's going to be people that we're talking to that have been through a lot. So I, I am aware of that, you know, but a massive thank you for listening to our first episode. I think Hezra did a really good job, <laughs> even though I dragged him in here by his hair. <laughs> Will you listen to the episode? That's, that's a little bit greyer. It's great. Oh, your hair. <laughs> yeah. Your hair is great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story, we'll pop the link in the show notes. Be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes, it lands straight into your listen now. If you could also leave us a review for the show, that would be so appreciated. No words are needed, just stars. If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us get our show out and about to others experiencing fertility treatment. IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Vlad Galushenko. You can join us wherever you get your podcasts.